All right, podcast friends, we are rolling. This is a super exciting episode today for me because we are going to be talking to one of my BFFs in fundraising and leadership, Kashana Palmer. Kashana, you and I met on an elevator at a fundraising conference, and we just hit it off like that. And I'm so yes, excited. <laughs> I'm so excited you're in my life now. And it all started with one elevator conversation. So you are a speaker. You speak, uh, you do a lot of speaking in the social sector about leadership. And we were recently talking about this idea of self-care. And you threw this word out that you use called martyritis. Tell us a little bit about what that means to you and what you think leaders in our sector need to be thinking about in terms of self-care. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And, you know, I, for anyone who is listening to this, I just want you to know it is possible to find love and friendship in an elevator. Okay. Don't let anybody <laughs> ever tell you that you can't. Okay. Um, it, totally is. <laughs> it totally is. So martyritis for me is the close kissing cousin. Ooh, uh oh, don't get any ideas, friends. Uh, of being a workaholic. And it is this idea that, you know, you are literally obsessed with the notion of being needed and being the only one who can do fill in the blank. And it shows up at work. And so if you find yourself going, oh, no one's going to be able to take care of this if I'm not here. Or if you find yourself going, I can never give this to anybody else on my team because they never get it right. Or if you find yourself going, I've got to make sure that I get this done. Otherwise, it's not going to be done well. You might have a touch of martyritis. And it's really the like sort of dis-ease, as I like to say, or disease, where you just think that if it's not you, it's no one. And it's different than like being a narcissist and it's different than like being sort of obsessed with yourself because actually you really deeply believe that no one can take care of whatever the work is, but you, and you will also like not take care of yourself to the point of exhaustion to get that particular body of work done, whatever it is. So this idea of being a workaholic and martyritis is prevalent as we know it in our sector, right? People like burnout is inevitable. You said that to me. How do people begin to combat this? If you are a leader and you are dealing with the fact that it's almost like you have this fear of letting people down and that propels you into workaholicism. Is that, is that a word? <laughs> How do you combat that? Yeah, Yes, <laughs> me to work on. Absolutely. You know, so for me, um, I have found, like, like, I, first of all, I always call my laptop my boyfriend. It's really sad, but it's true. And I really love him. Um, and so I find real joy and comfort in work. So I have a tendency to be, you know, more of what one would think of when you think of a workaholic. I'm always working on something. It's what I find joy and pleasure in. Um, and so when you think about being a martyr, though, it's a difference between like really finding joy in working and not knowing when to turn it off, which is a whole nother thing, and not allowing yourself to ask for help 
not allowing others to step in because you think that there is no other way to get a particular thing done but your way and not allowing yourself great in whatever you have going on. And so one of the first things that I always talk to leaders about, and frankly, I've talked to myself in the mirror, y'all, okay? Like I am talking to some, I've encouraged myself, um, is to know that it starts with me. Like I have to decide that I am actually really important enough to take care of myself. And that could mean leaving work at a decent hour. Because for many of us, actually, there's no one who is holding you to the fire to stay at work late. You are holding yourself to the fire. Your desire to do fill in the blank is what's holding you there, whatever it is. Some of us do have deadlines, let's be clear. But everybody is not operating with this sense of emergency about each part of our work all the time. And so I think that that is one of the places where it inherently um, is an opportunity for us to do something different. So that could mean Taylor, like deciding that before you get out of your bed in the morning, and I know we've heard this before, so folks are going to be like, I know, Kashana, but do you do it? Make sure that you have an, a practice of intention. So for me, my practice of intention in the morning is doing devotion, um, is being in my scripture, is writing in my journal is setting my, like, what will success look like for me today and being thankful for being up before I even put my feet on the floor to go run to the ladies. For others, it could be waking up to music. It could be getting out of the bed and writing in the gratitude journal. It could be hitting it right to the gym so you can get your blood flowing and your, you know, and get all your juices pumping. And that is how you take care of yourself at the beginning of the day. And others might do it at the end. And so when I think about how to combat that, by starting with you, you start by making sure you are pouring into your cup before you start to go and pour into anybody else's. So that to me is step one. I like that a lot. I actually will admit mine. It's probably not as motivational as yours, but I just have to get my coffee. Like the first thing I do is I make my coffee before anything else. Um, and it does like it helps to set me up for the day like mentally so you were telling us that you were recently at a conference speaking about leadership and speaking about this topic and that a lot of people were coming up to you and saying oh my gosh yes this is my world what were some of those comments perhaps I'm curious to hear from the field from your eyes and ears on the ground what were some of those comments and what are some other recommendations you are giving to people to know that they are actually doing enough and to own that? Yeah, I love that. Most of the comments, and I'll give you a couple of specific ones, but almost, yeah, most of the comments that I think about it were based in some version of like fear and shame. Those two words came to me because literally this morning um, I was watching the uh, Netflix special uh, from Brene Brown and folks have been telling me for like months, you've got to watch her, you've got to read her work. And I'm like, okay, all right already. And so I was watching this morning and I was like, oh, that's why. Because I talk a lot about like we operate oftentimes from a place of fear in our work. We operate from a place of fear when we ask, uh, which is why there's so much around fearless asking. And so the comments were really like, oh my gosh, Kashana, I am so embarrassed that that is how I have been behaving. Oh my gosh, Kashana, I am so embarrassed that I literally have not left the office 
to even go for a walk in months. Because one of the suggestions I was giving um, during my talk was, you know, if exercise is not your jam, let me tell you what, I'm not about to introduce you to that jelly, okay? But what I will tell you is, in order for you to do your best and most creative thinking, it is not going to happen for you nine hours a day stuck in a windowless room with cold, or that's cold with air conditioning or, or blasting with heat. You have got to get up and get moving. And so get outside, even if it's for 10 minutes, just to take a lap around your place of business, around your organization, um, so that you can actually get a change of scenery and air. And so some of the comments were like, yeah, I think I can do that. That feels like a small but doable step. Um, other folks were like, I have been thinking a long time about going back to, um, I was talking about Pilates, but going back to Pilates, I used to go, I want to be able to go again. And I said, can you start this week? And so one woman is explained to me how expensive it, it is, which it is. And so we were just talking about how to negotiate um, uh, her, the deal, a deal with the trainer so that she could actually make it affordable for her to go. Um, and then others were like, I tell my team that they need to take better care of themselves. But to be honest, I don't do that. And I feel like I am being a hypocrite by not doing it. And my response was, you have got to stop blaming yourself and give yourself some grace. And I think that a lot of times we are reluctant to start over on a routine or a practice or something that we know is going to be good for us because we have let it go for a week, for a month, for a year. Hello, y'all. And we don't want to come back to it because we're embarrassed. And so just being able to give yourself some grace to come back to a practice or a routine that you feel good about is really important. So Taylor, when you were talking about making your coffee, like that's the ritual that you enjoy. That's the thing that sort of makes your brain like click in place and know that it's ready to get your creative juices going. So it's less about the coffee and more about the act and the joy you take from those simple steps you do each morning in order to be able to get your day going. And so a lot of my advice is around getting people present back to those practices and routines that really bring them joy. And oftentimes they're real small. Funny. I even choose the mug that I want to drink out of based on my mood in the morning. <laughs> like Exactly. See? I yes. totally do. Like, what color will I be today? <laughs> yeah. Which mug am I embodying today? <laughs> And it's funny, sometimes I get up and I'm like, I am drinking out of that honey badger mug today and I am a honey badger today. And then there's other days where I'm like, I'm feeling pretty chill. I'm going to enjoy my Seattle mug. <laughs> exactly. I love that. I love that. As I think about my extensive mug collection, I think you might be onto something, Taylor. <laughs> I love what you said, Kashana. This is, uh, this is Leah chiming in here about. Um, when you, when you mentioned Brene Brown and how she talks about shame and how so many people, so many of us operate from that place. And just the other day, I was actually watching a video on YouTube that was talking about the dangers of a scarcity mindset. And I think that, that, that I, the idea that there's not enough or you're not enough, whether it's like, there's not enough hours in the day or like no amount of accolades and uh, recognition is enough. Um, that sort of, to me, ties in with that place of shame, or at least it feeds that, that, that place of shame that we tend to operate from um, in our work and in our lives. 
Um, and so I love just this, this idea of starting your day with a practice because really the only way that we can go about and move throughout the world and give to others if, is, if we are, if, is if we have a mindset of abundance, really. And the only way that you can operate from that place of like, I'm full, I have a, I, my cup is full and I can pour into others is to recognize that seeing the world is kind of this like point system where you have to acquire all the, all the points and get, you know, get all the accolades and the recognition for yourself. and hard work is actually just feeding more of that, that, um, that mindset. I love that. Notion absolutely. Of absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I think that that is, that to me is at the heart of my idea about martyritis that really, if we operate from a place of lack, it shows up in the craziest of ways as leaders. It shows up in our work styles. It shows up in our communication styles. It shows up in who we keep close to us, the health of our professional relationships, both at work and other colleagues in our field. Think about, um, I'm actually an introvert, so it's really hilarious that I get to meet people in the elevator because that's the best. Um, and so when I go to conferences, now I make an effort to make sure I talk to new people. I grab the person who looks like they're by themselves going, what the, hey, but they don't want to say anything because it's overwhelming. I, I really step out of myself to be able to have those experiences because I really want to make sure that I'm connecting because I know I have a lot to give. I know when it's done at the end of the day, it's done too, y'all, okay? But when I think about teams and I think about being in community with other professionals that are not in my organization, I'm also thinking about if I am operating from a place of lack, then that means I am not getting out the office to have community outside of where I work because no one else can do what I do. And that's not actually true. So martyritis actually stymies your ability to build healthy relationships with others, both in your organization and with your community outside of your organization. And it stifles your ability to be able to grow professionally because how are you going to take on a stretch project or how are you going to step into a new creative pursuit that you've always been wanting to try if you can't figure out how to release the reins and to teach someone else what you're doing or working on so that you can get some time and some space on your plate to do something else that's going to grow you and push you as a professional. And so I think that it really kind of gets in the way of our ability to be our best selves. Good, good stuff. I'm glad that both of you mentioned Brene Brown because I actually got to go see her speak in the flesh just last night. So she's like hot on my mind right now. I'm a, a huge fangirl of hers. And she said a couple of things that I want to share that I think actually really play well into this conversation and discussion on martyritis. She was talking about how she was approached by Oprah Winfrey to do all of this amazing stuff and have a talk show and the whole nine yards, right? Yada, yada, yada. But one thing that I, I wrote several quotes down, one thing she said was, you got to play the movie to the end. She talked about how she could see how the movie ended if she took on that whole nine yards with Oprah. 
she was like, my kids are never going to see me and I'm going to have a car pick me up at 4am and I'm going to get home at midnight every day and definitely my marriage will end. And so I, I thought that was really cool. She also said that she decided and she owned that she is a slower, closer person, not a further, faster person. And when we talk about martyritis and in our sector, in every sector, but in our sector, we've got this, you know, constant thing weighing on us where it's about the mission and we've got to change the world. Like it's a huge weight to carry on our shoulders, but sometimes we need to slow down and, and work slower and closer on things and not be so hung up on the further, faster notion. I love everything about that because, you know, this is, there's this idea, you know, for me anyway, like I take such pride in saying how much of a perfectionist I was, um, which means that things took a long time, right? Because I wanted to get it just right. And then I realized one day, like, Kashana, done sometimes is better than perfect. You have already set up a good system. You have already set up good working norms. You know, it's thinking of just about in my consulting practice, my back end of my business for a long time was trash. No one would know. So that means that I spent so much time trying to um, manually do things that I could like automate and do that with care so that people could still have the same kind of experience. But, and the reason that it was trash is because I wanted to get it perfect. And one day I just said, um, you know what, I'm just going to finish this this week. Like I'm going to spend a couple hours every day and get this darn thing done. And the number of folks who are like, wow, just, you know, we interface with you online. It's just like in person. Well, it, 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 I wrote it. It was me. But I stepped away from the desire for things to be perfect so, so that they could actually be done because I realized the other side of perfectionism was procrastination. And so what you just said, Taylor, about, you know, closer and slower it made so much sense to me because if I allowed myself to slow down before I sort of like got into the perfection spin that I was in and thought really clearly about who I actually wanted to attract to my work and who I actually wanted to work with and what were their pain points and I actually asked myself those questions before I just started doing then I might not have gotten myself into such a in such a tizzy around that work and so for leaders, when you're in your organizations and in your companies, really thinking about like the story you're telling yourself, one, and two, like what does success actually look like, which is the positive way of like, what's the end of that story? Um, and can you find your way to success? What are the gaps you're going to have? And then who can help you fill those gaps? That is where you start to step away again from this whole notion of martyritis, doing everything yourself, no one can do it but you, it's just me, it's going to fail if I'm not there. That's going to be something that's really, really important. Yeah, I love that, Filling out, figuring out how to close the gap. So, Kashana, my last question for you, we've talked, I, I thought, a lot about martyritis. You speak on leadership specific to the nonprofit sector. Do you have any other parting words of wisdom for nonprofit leaders? Like what are your top three go-to tips? Yeah, thank you. For me, my first thing is um, I have an OHD philosophy about management and life. So I am always open, I am honest, and I am direct. Now I know some of us are gonna struggle with directness, but we, can, we cannot afford to struggle with being open 
and being honest because that vulnerability as a leader and that honesty about how you show up in the world, how you plan to lead in the world and what space you're helping to create for your team to really exist and be their most full self in the world is the thing that's going to drive having top performers is the thing that's going to drive folks finding happiness either in their work and in their life or finding happiness somewhere else is where you're going to find that level of clarity and creativity and innovation. And so having an OHD philosophy is one of the first things I would say is my tip for leaders. The second thing is you have what you need right now to be ridiculously awesome. A lot of times we are operating from a place of lack and a place of um, questioning and a place of, am I enough? And really coming back to yourself and knowing like, no, I really got this. And the places where I don't got it, I'm going to go get help. I think it's super important. And so whether help is an accountability partner, if help is a coach, if help is a therapist, if help is uh, some sort, sort of faith-based healer or leader, whatever it is for you, make sure that you know that you are enough and you have what you need already. And wherever you feel like you might be missing a thing or two, go and get the help. And the third thing is hire people who know their stuff and then let them do their work, friends. Don't hire folks that don't know their stuff, number one. And number two, don't do, don't even, even worse, hire people who are amazing content and subject matter experts, and then you try to do their job for them. Please let people do their work. Get out of the way. Um, that is a sign of a good leader, making sure that you hire amazing people around you and you give them the space and the tools to do their best work and their highest work. And so those are the three things that I would say I would give advice, and I give advice pretty regularly to leaders when I do my talk. That's awesome. I love the OHD philosophy. I'm going to go post something about that right now. <laughs> uh, so Kish, how do people learn more about you if they want to learn more about your leadership talks, what you do, how to get in touch, how can they find you? Absolutely. So you can find me on all of the internet. <laughs> uh, my handle across social media, so Instagram and Twitter and YouTube is Fund Diva, Fundraising Diva, so F-U-N-D-D-I-V-A. You can find me on LinkedIn at Tashana Palmer. My name is two S-H's in it. Um, you can find me on Facebook um, at Tashana Palmer. And so basically, if you put my name into Google and you misspell it, most of the time, Google will spell it correctly. Um, and my website, kashanaco.com, K-I-S-H-S-H-A-N-A-C-O.com. And I'm always sharing tips and tricks and videos and how to do these things now, talking about raising a teenager and all the things in between. So I'm happy to be connected to you all online. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. And thank you for being my favorite person ever to meet in an elevator. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Oh, our story. It is our story. We're, we're very bonded. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.